What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here, bringing another Productivity in Tech podcast. My guest this week is the one Ridiculous Hat. Don't ask what his name is. His name doesn't matter. It's Ridiculous Hat. Actually, I don't know his name. I never asked. That's because Hat belongs to a community of online gamers, just like, you know, some of the other people I've interviewed recently. And that's just the thing that we do. We respect people's privacy. So... Hat and I get into this conversation about the podcast and community that he runs called Coin Conceit. It is another Hearthstone podcast and community. But the thing I really liked about this is that all of the podcasters that belong in to that show, one, it's not their main thing. It's not their goal to be full-time Hearthstone podcasters. They're doing this for fun. But that being said, they still devote a lot of time and energy into doing what they do. Um, As you all know, for me, this is all a part of a business plan that I have for editing, productivity coaching, and overall just building a community for people in the tech space to work to be more productive. So for me, everything that I do has to do with that end goal. But for this crew of people in which Hat is a part of, they're doing this because they're passionate about the community that they're a part of. And honestly, Hat believes that there's more behind that than there is the actual love for the game that keeps them showing up. So I'm not going to bore you with any of my rambling. I will say that We had a great show and an even better after show. So if you are not yet a Pit Premium member, head over to productivityintech.com slash memberships and then click the link to become a premium member or make a one-time donation using our Ko-Fi page. That link is also on the memberships page as well to get unlimited access to all of the after show episodes that we've done as well as ones in the future, including the one that we released with this episode. But here it is, my conversation with Ridiculous Hat. Yeah, you're you're getting pretty multifaceted over there. I was looking at the other questions. You've got a couple of different projects that you're working on? Uh, yeah, so I've got... Um, so Pitt as a whole is kind of, I would just say my brand at this point. It's not really any particular one thing. Pitt started out as like, hey, I'm a developer. I like productivity. Let me talk to other people that like productivity and figure out like how other people can be more productive or whatever. Um, that evolved into someone saying, hey, why don't you do coaching? And then it was like, okay, now I'm a productivity coach. (laughs) And now I'm just focusing clearly on the productivity side of things. And then they were like, well, yeah, but you also do the tech stuff. So I was like, okay, now I'm productivity for just developers. And then finally, I had like a nervous breakdown and was like, you know what, I'm just going to do me and (laughs) leave it at that. But uh, in October, I start I actually got the official business license for productivity and tech. And uh, just as a way to kind of gain, you know, some kind of capital, I, I started editing content for people and like sending out newsletters and stuff like that uh, and just to, you know, make money on the side. And I realized after a while, like, I'm actually making more 
doing that than I am with like the coaching stuff. So Pitt just kind of eased into that area. So it's like now I just make stuff and I help people make stuff and I show people how they can do it without losing their minds like I did. So uh, that that's kind of where Pitt's at today. But, you know, tomorrow that might change. And then I'm I'm also building a web app for developers to uh, kind of figure out where they're going, like with conferences, like there's a ton of conferences out there, but I wanted to create something that would send them reminders based on like their location, like, oh, hey, this conference that you're interested in, the deadline for their tickets are like next week. So you need to go and make sure you get your ticket or there's a price hike coming up on this day. So um, that is very, very recent and still in its infancy, but uh, that's kind of my my secondary project of, you know, just continuously building things and trying to figure it out. And then I still have a day job, which is uh, always fun. So I'm not sensing a lot of free time. I mean, you know, there's the, the commute to work and the commute home. And when my daughter is like asleep and yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the you get a lot of like passively occurring free time as in I literally have to have this time that is not booked of than commuting so that I can go to my job and come home from my job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I mean, I admire someone that can stay really busy and still be productive throughout. It's, you know, there are ups and downs to that, but as you've determined, as I'm sure your clients have determined, content creation takes a lot of time and the better you want it to be, the more time it takes. And those extra few hours, every little bit to take it from like 80% to hundred percent is way harder than the first 80%. Oh yeah, way and, and way harder. That's a, that's a, a really good kind of a starting point, I guess, for this whole conversation too, because you know you're putting out a podcast for a video game, and most people would think like, okay, stuff doesn't really change that much. Like if if we were talking about like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do a PlayStation podcast where there are games that come out every single week, you would think that you know, okay, there's a lot to talk about, but you're talking about one game. But I just happened to play this one game, and I know there is so much stuff that goes on every single week, whether it's a new tournament, whether it's an expansion, whether it was, you know, some some big business decision in the back end that screwed over a bunch of people that we're not going to get into. But, <laughs> like, like, all of these things are coming up. And then at the same time, you know that there are these big events where there are new expansions that come out, and all of the work that comes into preparing for that, like – what does what does well first of all tell everybody about your podcast in case we have any Hearthstone players that are listening and then also kind of go into detail about what that process looks like getting it set up and stuff. So, I am part of a podcast called Coin Conceit, which is it's a Hearthstone podcast. We focus really on the tournament aspect of the game, where we kind of connect with. The recurring tournament series, there are tournaments basically every day. We recap them. We talk about what's doing well, what's not doing well. We go over the news. We try and do some kind of explanation on a core game concept or a specific deck that's doing well just to give the listener kind of an educational leg up on the competition, both in terms of being informed about what's happening now and how do they deal with it. But really, I'd say, as our podcast has evolved, even if the game doesn't change, the, the crux of why our show is successful is because of the chemistry between the hosts. And a lot of what we do isn't content-related. We just get on and kind of talk about what our past week has been like. And it, it evolves from there. 
it can get a little inside jokey at times, but it's it's just good banter and, and a demonstration of camaraderie that lets you feel like as a listener that you're in the room with a bunch of friends and that you get to be a part of it, as well as taking the educational and informative tactic. So it's a lot of fun. I've been running the show now as a producer for a couple of years. I took over the audio editing in particular about a year and a half ago, and there's a lot of work that goes into that because we do, it's called a double ender where everyone records their own audio, send it all to me, I sync it all up, I process it, I edit it, and then I'm a big believer in manually editing the podcast of any parts that are a little sloppy or inaccurate information or where there's a lot of crosstalk, you can't really figure out what's going on. I am a big believer in marking that down as we record and going back and scrubbing it or modifying it, never to the point where what we send out in the recorded episode is inaccurate based on what we said, right? We're not changing our opinions like we say this card is bad, and then by the time the episode's ready to be released, it's good, so we just cut that part out. No, we leave it in. But in terms of just the polish aspect of the show, it takes a lot of work, but I think it makes a better product. Oh, and, and as as someone who I think I think I found I found Coin Concede, I don't know. It was probably in like November of last year. I, I went on like this weird bender of like I'm going to find every single Hearthstone podcast there is, and um, Coin Concede got added in that event. And it's it's interesting because you know, like you said, for for people who you know, none of you are professional streamers, like 24 seven, like that's not what you're doing. You all have jobs, you all have these outside lives. And it seems like, like you said, to create content at a certain level of quality, the getting the podcast recorded is a labor intensive process in itself. But then, you know, doing a double ender, I, I, used to do double enders with all of my guests, but then I realized that many of my guests aren't podcasters. So it's like, they're like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, on on a phone or I'm calling from, you know, this really horrible place or I'm, I'm on like a old computer where I, I don't know how to set up a recording or I don't know how to use QuickTime or, you know, it, so eventually I was like, you know what, I'll just take care of it. And because it, it just becomes a liability in a way. Like, have you ever had like audio that just, got eaten so i record i have a mixer and a a whole setup here i've got a usb audio interface i've got a usb mixer uh, i've got my own mic as well and a software mixer so we record through discord and basically the question any content creator needs to ask themselves is am i willing to put in enough time that my manual editing on whatever crapshoot of audio that i get is going to be better than the pretty solid audio compression algorithms that are built in the software these days. Skype and Discord, good voice compression algorithms. They know what they're doing, and the audio that you get out of it is generally pretty usable. The vast majority of podcasts in MySpace, they record Discord, slap it on the on an RSS feed, that's the podcast. I put in enough time where that's not the case. I use Adobe Audition to edit the file, not free software, and a bunch of other equipment that I've picked up over the years because... In addition to the backup copy that I record through the mixer, which we can always fall back on, there have been a couple times we've needed to. I would rather get worse audio and process it myself than get audio that where everything sounds the same and I have no opportunity to excel and for us to set our content apart in that way. And and that is something that I did notice that, you know, there are 
you know, there is something to say about the I'm just going to get on whatever device and talk. Like I know um, both a friend of yours and mine, Wicked Good, uh, Steve Lubitz, for those that uh, have been listening to the show and he was on the show earlier, he does the Off Curve podcast. And then you have um, Blister Guy who does the Walk to Work. And those are designed to be a gritty kind of like you get what you get because of the scenario in which I'm recording. And and I think that there's something to say about that. I've definitely put out shows where I've done that, not on Pit, but on other podcasts that I, I do. And I've actually had people say, like, I think the, the funniest comment that I ever got was someone was like, I loved the podcast that you did in the drive-thru of a Chick-fil-A. And <laughs> it was literally just like me having – this weird existential crisis of just like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I got to figure this out. And like, I had been recording, I've been doing like an audio blog of my days and I just happened to be getting food for my wife and I, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm in the drive through. There's a pretty long line. So I'm just gonna you know sit here and record and, and did it and gave my order paid. And then at the end just signed off and, and people were just like, that was amazing. But then at the same time, like, I wouldn't put out a pit podcast like this, you know, like that, that that's just not the, that's not the style of the podcast. And one of the things that coin conceit has done so well is that it has that unique style of a uh, professionally edited podcast. And it's really a question of alignment of expectation. And thank you very much for saying that. Uh, you know, I'm a talented amateur, I guess, and not, and by talented, I mean experienced. By experience, I made a, a lot of mistakes because that's what the word experience means. It means mistakes made enough to know how to make it sound decent. And yeah, like you said, uh, Blister Guy and Steve, both good friends of mine, when you're listening to that podcast, you're not saying, I'm going to get professionally produced audio. You're saying, this guy is literally walking to work and playing a game of Hearthstone, and he's talking to me while he's doing it. Reasonable expectation, 20-minute podcast, that's what you expect. Coin Conceit, we go a little bit longer. We're looking for a, a two-hour episode most of the time. I wouldn't feel comfortable sitting around and talking in my car for two hours and putting that out, as well as if we're going for educational, if we're going for informative, I think there's a certain level of polish that we're looking for from that, and we're trying to be visibly appealing, notably appealing to people that may not otherwise have a vested interest in in our content. And part of what you can do there, if if the base of the content makes sense, is really working that polish and really working that extra mile to bring people in when they're not otherwise sure why they should listen to you. Absolutely. And and that's one of the things that I, I feel is a constant struggle uh, between podcasters is, uh, for instance, the first like, this this podcast goes back like three years now, like three or four years and, and due to some stuff, most of that content is on the internet archive and not on this feed. But the first few episodes are just like, let's talk about this productivity app. Let's talk about this productivity app. Let's, we got a Facebook group, join the Facebook group. And we talk about productivity apps because productivity apps are the best thing in the world. And then eventually you could just tell it was just like, I got tired of saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it became a challenge of how can I continue to create content that my audience enjoys without repeating myself 
again and again and again. And it's interesting because for me, it's there's only one thing that is the same on every podcast episode, and it's me. But for you, you have that times three. You have, you know, you, you have your co-hosts, and then every once in a while you have a guest. And, but three of those opinions never change. Like, it's, it's funny because you, you, you hear like some of the inside jokes as you're, as you're going through the show. And, you know, in my mind, as someone that's new, it's like, oh, that's cool. But then after like three months, again, like you said, inside jokes are kind of the thing. You understand them, you get them, it's, it's whatever. How do you figure out how to bring a consistent, unique, informational podcast every single week? Because I think that's something that if more people understood, they would be able to create more content. So if I knew the true answer to this, I would be much more wealthy than I am. And I want to make sure I can give you our perspective. I think the answer is how do you keep something consistent yet fresh is it's a question that has no easy answer. It really depends on each group of people and how things go. And our podcast has been through change. We have had multiple hosts cycle on and off of the show since I joined. Uh, Appa is one of my two co-hosts, Appa and Bodicus. Appa was the only one that's still there from the, the time that I joined. He even left and came back for a little bit. Part of the show format has stayed the same. Part of it has changed and adjusted. And we seek feedback from our audience. We have a very active Discord community. We engage pretty often just asking, what do you like about what we're doing? What do you not? And the, the time where I took over uh, doing the, the meat of the show, the tournament section and the audio section, we got some pretty direct constructive feedback about what was still working and what wasn't. There was a lot that wasn't. So we killed our darlings. We didn't stay attached to things that seemed to be core to the show when they just weren't working for us because they weren't core to the show. They were core to the people who were doing the show at the time. The concept was good, but the execution, like you can live in the same room, but if somebody else moves out, you don't keep their furniture. You got to change that. You got you to gotta adapt, not the house, but the way you live in it. And so we were modifying that idea. And at the same time, we were really allowing ourselves to explore the, the length of the episode and camaraderie has been the thing that's worked when nothing else has. We have all been through various stages of relationship with the game. We have all had stuff going on outside the game. There have been times where I was doing a podcast on Hearthstone, and I hadn't played Hearthstone that week. I had not logged in one time. And that's okay because we were able to talk about it. We were still able to stay connected and informed. On some level, it's an obligation. And I felt obligated, and I still do, to be aware of what's happening. It just that brings different levels of joy based on how I'm feeling and my relationship with the game. But being able and willing, desiring to talk to each other on a weekly basis of that two hours of time set aside where we can just make jokes and talk and, and catch up with each other and bounce things off each other and disagree in a respectful manner, mostly respectful, uh, has been really pleasant and that environment is what I want to come back to. And the listeners consistently say the environment is what they come back to the show for, where it's not about just the content. It's not about just, I want to learn about these decks. I want to learn about this metagame. I want to learn about all these game-specific content or concepts. It's all about, I want to hang out with these guys. 
and whoever their guest happens to be, if there is one. So I think this is going to bring another question in, and, and, and I guess for it, it, it does require a little bit of, of information on my part. So uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of this, I have this, this business that I'm trying to put together and, and get things going. But in the meantime of doing that, I still go to a full-time job. Like I still have a nine to five. I'm, I'm coming home. I'm, you know, being a father, being a husband, and then also having all of these responsibilities for my clients, as well as kind of the marketing and the sales and getting new clients. Um, How has, I guess this is kind of a two-part question. How has doing this podcast, how has it affected you as, you know, in, in regards to your day job, but then also how have you not turned it into the second job? Like how, how have you kept it something that you, you enjoy, like you said, coming to those people and enjoying doing the work. I mean, yeah, that's great and all, but at the same time, there's still going to be, you know, a two hour podcast, I would assume takes at least three hours to edit. Like, does that not feel like a chore? Oh, it does. I, I want to make sure I'm clear. I don't enjoy the editing. I do it. I enjoy, I'm proud of having a finished product that is really high quality. And the pride compels me to do it. But most weeks I just looked at, look at that final audio and I say, man, I don't really want to edit this. I do it because it's my commitment to the podcast. And I am at least more aware of the time investment now, as well as I've worked in some processes with audio editing, just over time and practice of making it more efficient. But I'm not going to tell you that at the end of every podcast, I record for two hours, a lot of fun. And then I'm like, well, I can't wait to edit this. No, I can wait. Sometimes I do wait, and that's the problem. But it's, it's part and parcel of building community and making that investment of your time. And something that I realized that I've gotten older is that the one-off commitments are not the thing that eat up our time. It's the subscription commitments. It's these sort of things that we invest ourselves in every single week. And there have been times when I've had way too many of those. There have been times when the podcast has affected my day job or rather just trying to juggle everything. You know, I've left a little early to get home earlier to work in the show notes or I was a little late getting home. And so I didn't feel as confident about the content because we came up with the topic kind of last minute. And it's really an ebb and flow. Whatever I feel invested in my life at any given time, I'm more likely to prioritize that. Whatever I I feel less engaged with is going to be less likely to get that attention and that polish. And sometimes it has been the day job. I think we've all been through those times. It sounds like your schedule is extremely busy and full. And I'm guessing that some days, some parts of the day are just more compelling than others. I think having a realistic assessment of that is important. And taking reflection every so often, just thinking about how much energy am I really putting towards the thing? Does it deserve what it's getting? In some cases, some things might seem really important at the time, but then reflection, they're like, you know what? The amount of energy I'm putting in, like you talked about with doing a double ender versus a raw recording, is it really worth an extra three hours? probably not at a certain point when your time is that scarce versus other things like, man, I'm really not feeling the job this week, this month, whatever, but I, I need to support the family. It really adds a lot of value and structure to my life. Maybe I should refocus some of the energy I put other places and kind of reel it back in. Keeping that in perspective, and as I'm sure you've talked about this on many episodes in the past, but I started writing down my recurring commitments in my calendar and plotting out exactly how much time they were taking up. I actually have an app on my phone called Swipe Times, where when I'm doing something, I, I click the button, 
it records how long I'm spending in that project. When I'm done, I click the button. And I can go back and look at how much time I'm really spending on these projects. And sometimes it is a real eye-opener. I, I think the best advice that I ever got in regards to time management was charge twice what you think you should charge because you're going to take twice as long as you think you will take to to do that thing. And and this obviously doesn't work in in like a, you know, a passion project or like an hourly focus thing, but uh it is something that you know, for me when I edit podcasts, like in my mind, I just love listening to audio. Like I'm, uh, we talk about this a lot. I have a podcast addiction problem. <laughs> like I, I'm subscribed to way too many podcasts, but at the same time, it's also fun for me when, when I get to edit someone's podcast that I know like, okay, in, in a month, people are going to hear this. And when they hear it, they won't think anything different, but I'll know that I'll know about all the headaches and the hiccups and the, the parts where people like, you know, cursed at the top of their lungs because something crashed and fell and, and I had to go and clean that thing up or doing these, these video courses that I've been doing lately, uh, just a ton of them, which is, is great. It's so time consuming, but at the same time, it's like, I'm actually learning while I'm creating things for people to learn. And, you know, at my day job, it, it was funny, like, I actually just finished a project where I did not know how to do it until I got like this side gig thing. And it was like, oh, I actually just watched a video on how to do this. I kind of know what I'm doing now. And and I remember when, when we were talking initially about setting the show up, you mentioned like, your entire career path has been, I don't really know how to do this. I'm going to figure it out. And, you know, you threw out a big name like Adobe Audition. And as someone who has tried Audition and was just like, no, not my thing. Um, and has tried Logic and been like, no, also not my thing. And like, I use my iPad to edit audio. Just I use Ferrite because Ferrite was the first tool that I used that actually made sense and it felt natural. But something like Audition requires knowledge. It requires time to learn and to focus on like, how has doing this helped um, in the audio side, but how has it also helped kind of in the day job? I'm, I'm really interested in figuring that part out. So, okay, this is a fantastic question. Um, and for context, my day job, when I started with the podcast, I, I worked for a major movie theater company. And for the first 12 years of that career, I was in management and actually running theaters and dealing with staffs of up to 100 people at times. Recently, I've actually switched over to something that's more technically applicable, where I do sight and sound quality assurance for an entire region of theaters, the audio and the visual, of course. The, the podcasting stuff and the and the audio is very applicable there but actually both sides are really applicable and I think there's there's a concept that you're that you're touching on here that I think is deeply important is that self-improvement is awesome and being able to look at something in the past and say I can do that now and couldn't do it before it, it's like that feeling I'm gonna bring it back to like a Dark Souls video game or something where at the beginning you fight the first boss and it seems so incredibly difficult by the end of the game you go back and fight that boss again it's like that was so that's so easy. I don't know what was so hard the first time. 
practicing and growing strong is innately enjoyable and pleasurable and addictive in some ways, even though there are lumps along the way, even though there's, there's difficulty in the process. And so being part of the podcast and my day job have both helped each other. The day job working with people for over a decade has been extremely useful for any kind of working with people in the space, dealing with scheduling, dealing with conflicts, dealing with interpersonal stuff, persuading people to be a part of something and help out with something, kind of guiding their language into what they want to say. If people are all upset at the same time and it's about different things, is there something common underneath and kind of learning how people interact and what they're saying without knowing that they're saying. And then working in the podcast and dealing with all these extracurricular activities that I want to do but don't need to do and really zoning in on time management to, well, keep my fiance from breaking up with me, but also to keep the podcast going and coming at the same time every week and taking care of the, of the community esports organizations that I help operate, staying on track of that, and also going to my job in the morning and getting all that stuff done, thoroughly documenting my time, building organizational systems that make sense, both for me and for all the different things that I touch, and making sure that everyone is on the same page and that I, like you said, plan for extra time for everything. Because whatever, however long you think it's going to take, everything takes longer. And assuming that you have enough time to be there for your personal life, your work, your hobbies, and anything else all in the same day is usually a recipe for failure. So I try and space out my days and still end up with pretty packed ones. You know, it's interesting that we're recording this on a Monday. Um, It'll get heard in a week, but I probably won't touch this audio again until Sunday. And, you know, like you just said, there's a reason why that's the case. It is... If, if I don't want my wife to, to come in here and like rip like the Ethernet cable out of my computer and be like, spend time with me, or if I don't want my daughter to be screaming bloody murder while I'm trying to record, um, I have to devote some of that time to them. And again, if I want to keep my job, I can't edit the podcast while I'm at work. And if I want to keep my clients happy, I can't edit my podcast while I'm editing their podcast. Um, so it it is good to hear that time management as as a whole doesn't mean trying to dedicate every single minute to something. It it more means understanding where the time itself is going. And, and that's something that I think a lot of people kind of get screwed up on when, when they start thinking, I got to be more productive. I got to manage my time better. Uh, I, I love it when people are like, oh, I, I need to manage my time better. And it's like, well, what are you doing? I don't know. Okay. Well, the first thing you need to do is figure out what you're doing and, and where that time is going. Because as someone who creates content for a living, it is... Creating the content is the easiest part. Um, it is the making the content, you know, palatable for your audience. Figuring out who your audience is—that is—that is the one thing that I wish 
more people would talk about is figuring out who their audience is and and how exactly you approach them. Because for the first year of my podcast, I think I had like two iTunes reviews and like three people who to this day are still like pit premium members, which is awesome. But like those were the people that would tell me what they thought about the show, but nobody else. And the audience was growing and growing and growing, but I had no idea what I was doing because I would try to reach out to people and and hear nothing. Um, So I'm saying all of this to kind of tie into my next question, which I think will be the last, well, second to last one, because I got one that I definitely want to ask. The Hearthstone community as a whole is a fickle one. (laughs) Like they get mad over certain things that I don't quite understand. And, and being a member of that community uh, as well, how do you keep your feelings towards the game? And you mentioned this a little bit of, of you know, recording on weeks where you haven't opened the game at all. How do you control that? How do you keep yourself from just being like, you know what, screw this, screw blizzards, screw Activision, screw Team 5, like, screw all these people. I just want myself, you know, back. I just want this little piece to myself, this little piece of sanity to myself. How do you keep that in check and, again, just continue to be consistent? So a lot of this comes down to like I said earlier, the, the the decade of experience working with people and conflict mediation and really figuring out what is going on, what is the – when everyone is angry about different things at the same time, there's something behind that that has some value. And when we look at the Hearthstone community and any gaming community, right, people, when it comes to their hobbies, react more strongly than maybe something like their jobs. It really depends what happens, but your job is – where you go, I think in most cases these days, it's not what defines us. It's what we do, but it's not what defines us. But a hobby is something that we choose to do, something we choose to be a part of. Hey, I want to play this game because games are fun and I want to have fun. I want to relax. But there's that part of us, especially as we get a little bit older. And I think Hearthstone appeals very well to people that play games, not a lot of free time, where the competitive and proud instincts that we develop by being good in a career, right? You, you actively manage things, push things a little bit further, get a better product because of it, especially if you work for a while and move up into management. It's all about kind of honing your team. The impulses of making things better and of things being the best they can possibly be, that doesn't turn off when you get home after years and years of working. But the game is supposed to be fun. And especially when it's competitive and when at the end of a game you're either given a gold star or one gets forcibly taken away from you, which digs right into brain chemicals in a way that Blizzard has mastered perfectly, that causes an emotional reaction in your personal time that's supposed to be a hobby, but then it turns into something else, right? It grows from there. When you get that immediate visceral physical reaction, the instincts that it takes of how do I be better at this? How do I make this thing better? Those turn on in an instant. And when players want to be better, but also want to play the game their way, those two things coming together makes friction. And so that's why you see so many gaming communities, especially in competitive games, have a lot of drama, 
have a lot of negative reaction to developers because there's so many different people that all want to play the game their own way. And then there's the best way currently based on whatever is whatever strategies are out there that tend to be optimal. The disconnect between those two things is where conflict lies, is where dissatisfaction lies. And I was that way for a long time as well. When I would play and I would won, I, would feel, I felt great. When I played and I won with some strategy to come up with myself, I felt really great. When I lost, it didn't matter what the strategy was. I felt like I, it felt like my time was not mine to enjoy because I wanted to play, but I also wanted to win and I wasn't doing both. And it felt like I was, I was spending a dollar and getting 50 cents back, if you know what I mean. So instead, the podcast created something else for me. It's investment in the game, but not in playing the game and being a part of the community around the game. And that has value, but a lot less winning and losing. That has a lot more of the value of being part of something larger and connecting with people. And that is universally positive. Even when people are arguing, as long as they're respectful, as long as it's in a positive way, as long as it's in a group of people that understand and support each other, even when they disagree, you can't lose that. So every single time I think the game is not in the best spot right now, I don't really want to play, but I want to hang out with my friends and talk and engage with listeners, that never gets old. And it's about building an environment. Like you said, building an audience, the space of the game that, that we play, of Hearthstone, it's very crowded. There are a lot of podcasts out there. And we had to come up with the idea of what is our spin? Why should people bother listening to us? And the tournament spin has really worked because it's analytical and informative and educational. It leans on all of the hosts' years of experience playing card games. And it allows us to share knowledge and insight without actually having to play. We can look at tournament results. We can understand where the decks do well because we know how the concepts work. And we can explain that because of our experience. And we can engage with the community in the process. And, you know, one of the things about engaging with that community, that has, I think that has been what saved uh, Pitt so many times, you know, just, just keeping up with, like I think at one point we literally had like two people in a in a Slack uh, workspace, and they were just kind of there, and I wasn't even in there. And I jumped in one day, and they were still logged in, and I was just like, "What are you, what are you doing in here?" <laughs> um, and they were just like, "Hey, it's where I hang out." And it's like, "Oh, well, there's no one else here." And they go, eh, "I know. I figure people will show up eventually." And and. And then it was just like, okay, I, I want people like that. And and it seems like you have found that with, with your, your Discord channel. Like it is, I, I'm not a member of the Discord, but I am a member of other Discords where I believe that you, you're a member of as well, like Happy Hearthstone, Hearth Buzz, um, Off Curve. The fact that you have carved your own space out is something that people rarely do and that is the difference in what makes a good podcast and a great podcast there are podcasts that i listen to that i have absolutely no interest in the topic but i'm so fascinated so enamored with the ability to just make me want to be interested it can, it ceases to amaze me when people find things that I, I'm actually interested in and then they present it in a way that makes me wish that I could do I could do it the same way that they're doing it. But then I realize 
that's what makes it their thing. And your crew has really done that. So the last question that I have before we jump into the after show is, is a simple one. Having known all of that, having this awesome community, having this ability to look at a game and make it interesting to people who, let's be honest, will probably never play at the tournament level, but to still put out something that is entertaining, educational, and informative. That is that is something that is absolutely phenomenal, and, and I congratulate you on that. But I have to wonder, there has to be some limit when it is your hobby. Why haven't... Why hasn't the team decided, you know what, let's try to pursue this as a full-on thing? Honestly, if I am being as frank as I can be, I think the market for a video game podcast as a full-time job for multiple people is really limited and would compromise the lifestyle that I've built with you know, a vertical career at the same job for so many years. I, I think I would rather have a have a separation between work and play and for this to be a kind of play that looks like work it lets my work stay my job and that to be the thing that i am required to do it lets me if i have to delay the podcast a couple days or we skip a week it's not a huge deal if the editing isn't done exactly in 24 to 48 hours okay it it allows more flexibility and understanding and there are very very few content creators that can make a full-time living like that without dipping their toes in so many projects that it feels like they're working more than I work at my day job. I, I just think the, the realization of how much work it takes to be a full-time content creator in this day and age is creeping up. People are starting to get better ideas. And you think about it, realistically, if I am a Twitch streamer, I should never take a day off. Yes, I should for human health reasons, for personal health reasons, for mental health. But unlike when you're at a job and you take a vacation day and you come back and your work's just waiting for you, it's people's attention that you're fighting for. You need their attention. If you stream every day, you have it the same time every single day. You skip a day, you take a week off. When you come back, the attention has gone elsewhere. During that week, you weren't streaming. They clicked another stream, and now maybe that's the stream they're watching at the same time that day. People's attention is so fickle. And building a following is so difficult that I think it is just as much work, if not more, than a, than a full-time job that we already have. And allowing the two to be separate and allowing the podcast to be casual competitive, so to speak, as opposed to full-on, I depend on this and have to make it every single day, even if I'm not really feeling the game right now, I think would add another layer to it that I'm really not super interested in exploring. Because I think there is a lot of depth to it that I'm not prepared to process and a lot of dependence on it that I'm not sure I could handle. I love that answer. And I I think that is one that is so interesting because, you know, like, like you've said, it, it's not a matter of would would you, would you love to do this full time? Probably. I mean, yeah, it would be great, but sure. It, it just, it's one of those things that just doesn't seem feasible. And, and, and I'm learning that even with, like my business in six months has changed so many times just based on the understanding that 
the people that I want to help aren't the people that can continue to give me enough income so that I can help them and still take care of my family. So what I have to do is change my model, change how I approach the business side of things, and then use that as a vehicle to continue to reach out and help those people that ultimately can't afford it. And and I think that is something that as this podcast continues to grow, I, I hope to see in doing less and less, let's talk about apps, let's talk about very specific, you know, productivity methodologies. And instead, let's have conversations with people that you normally wouldn't have a conversation with. Let's have a conversation with someone who is doing something so phenomenally well and figure out what it is, what what is their their little thing that they're doing that allows them to show up every single week. And like you said, be consistent, be fresh, be able to engage with the community at a level that doesn't cause massive burnout. And, you know, I have learned a lot in this conversation. I've enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. And I'm sure that many of my guests have as well. So before we jump into the after show, please let everybody know how they can get in touch with you, how they can uh, learn more about Coin Concede. And uh, I don't know if your soundboard is connected, but just for fun, tell them what your favorite soundboard um, plug is. Okay. So my favorite soundbite is that guy right there. Oh, man. I I laugh every time I hear it. That is the feral gibberer. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of cute and kind of terrifying little thing that looks like a, looks like a tribble from Star Trek, the original Star Trek, but with big angry teeth. And that's the sound it makes when it dies in the game. So fantastic. Uh, where you can find me, you can find me at Ridiculous Hat on Twitter and Coin Concede. You can go to CoinConcede.com or join our Discord at Discord.CoinConcede.com. Yes, we talk about a nerdy video game called Hearthstone all the time, but. It's a, it's a good community of people. We've got quite a few channels. We even have a serious talk where if you want to talk about politics and religion, you can get in there. But if you don't, don't blame you. Uh, but we have lots of other channels about various aspects of Hearthstone. We have a food channel, of course. We have music. We have a channel about both doggos and puppers. There's just a lot to discuss, and you're more than welcome there anytime. Our show, we try to record on Wednesdays and try and publish on Fridays, and uh, we stream that live on Twitch while we do the recording process. You've been listening to the Productivity in Tech podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Productivity in Tech, the services that we provide, or our community and how to get involved, head over to productivityintech.com or follow us on Twitter at prod underscore in underscore tech. Thank you to Nadir Omawali for the use of his song, A Hustler in Spite of Myself, for the intro and outro music. I've been your host, Jay Miller. You can follow me on Twitter at kjymiller.com. Thank you for listening. I hope we've been productive and have a great day. Very awesome. So, Hat, are you ready for the after show? I'm ready for the after show. Awesome. Okay, here's my, here's my, uh, my pitch. At the end of every show... I have this thing called a host baton. It used to be a host button, but then people 
kind of just called me out on that and said a host button doesn't really make sense. So now it's a host baton. Um, I pass that baton to you. This is no longer my show. This is no longer Productivity and Tech. This is your show. Whatever show that you envision it should be, whatever questions you would have for a guest from a productivity coach who's a military veteran turned programmer turned coach turned podcaster turned content creator turned grilled cheese sandwich creator this is now your opportunity to fulfill that dream so if you are ready the show is yours perfect i have multiple questions and they are unrelated to each other uh first have you ever worked overnight shifts Yes, several times. I I was actually stationed on a ship where for three months I did not see the sun. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Not good for the brain chemistry. So my question is, as someone who has also worked third shifts, how do you explain the time and date of when you're working to a person that works normal shifts? If you're working, if you get to work at 10 o'clock on Monday and you leave at 6 a.m. on Tuesday and someone asks when do you work and they're a normal person with no concept of this, what do you tell them? I usually just say I work nights <laughs> and and leave yeah. it at that. But when when people often ask like, oh, hey, when are you going to be available? I usually specify the morning versus the evening. Like I might be free Monday morning, but I'm definitely not free Tuesday evening <laughs> because that's when I go to work. Um, I definitely have had that problem before. I think the better question is, who are you talking to when you were working graveyard shifts? Because all of my friends just kind of abandoned me. So I actually have a, a one of our patrons for the show, and we do a coaching benefit. He works at a, at a, uh, a steel cutting factory overnight. And so because my hours were completely messed up when I was working management in the movie theater world, Twice a week at 2 a.m. Eastern time for 30 minutes during his lunch breaks, I would do his coachings. And so we would set up these appointments of when it was. And so I would do, I would say, do you want to do Monday hyphen greater than sign Tuesday? And then Tuesday and like Monday into Tuesday and then Tuesday into Wednesday. And we would both know exactly when it was. We'd send the calendar invite. But that overnight time thing. No one's cracked that code yet. I've figured out how do I communicate this to another person and not risk showing up on the wrong day. Oh, I've, I've had, I, I think the, the harder thing is doing interviews with people all over the world because I've had people in Singapore, which is like 14 hours ahead of us, not look at the actual time because it was funny earlier when you scheduled this you like you sent me a tweet that was like hey we're meeting at 9 30 right and i was like no 6 30 i was like oh wait east coast yes 9 30 i've had them go hey i'm sitting here what's going on why are you not answering you know what screw you i don't want to do this podcast anyway your podcast is dumb and then later i just send them a screenshot of the invite that says it was p.m not a.m and they're like oh dude i'm so sorry (laughs) Yeah, it's time is complicated. Uh, it's I've had had a few interactions in the community esports league that I help run where people didn't know their own time zone. That's unfixable. You can't fix that. <laughs> when, you, when people are unaware of of what time it is where they are or how to communicate that information. But yeah, it's so that makes sense. Um, did you say grilled cheese, chef? Did you say that? <laughs> I, I I threw that in there. I, I've been toying around with some ideas for a, a really good grilled cheese sandwich. The secret is four slices of cheese, never two. If you do two, you're a bad person. Um, 
but yeah, I've I've just been trying to figure that out lately. And I love cooking. You know, that's that's my way of saying I love to cook um, <laughs> without saying what specifically I can cook because I don't even know at this point. I mean, you can unironically say I love grilled cheese. That's a that's a who doesn't love grilled cheese? It's it's two of my favorite things in the world. It's grilled and cheese. My sister actually hates grilled cheese sandwiches. And and I mean, I think she's adopted, but you know, we did take her home from the hospital. I just I just don't understand it. There's uh, I'm going to go with pod person. That's my leading theory <laughs> right now. Um okay, what next? What was it about Wall Priest that drove you crazy? Um I think it's the same thing with Token Druid that drives me crazy. At least with Token Druid, I can break through it. It's like, you know, I, I'm a I'm a rogue player. Like, I love rogue. Um, Wall Priest was one of those situations where it was like, okay, you play a Moshog Enforcer, I'll sap it and deal with it later. Okay, you played it again. Awesome. All right, well, I have a Walk the Plank, so I'll just kill it. Oh, I'm sorry. I also had to kill that uh, Witchwood Grizzly that you put out, and now you're resurrecting both of them. Okay, well, I have a Vanish, uh, but that's only going to give me one more turn. And then I'm finally out of things. Oh, what's that? You've played the second Moshog Enforcer? Oh, well, I don't know what to do here. (laughs) I I think it it was the idea of I don't have to play against you. I just have to consistently play. Like there's there's this weird there's this weird area of Hearthstone. It's the same thing that made like Mechathun Druid annoying. It's the same thing that makes um, Bomb Priest annoying. There are certain archetypes in the game where it is no longer you playing against your opponent. It is you playing against a timer. And ultimately I don't, I don't like that. Like I, I do not <laughs> like, I do not enjoy those games, but I will say that with, I haven't seen wall priest lately and I, I'm not too familiar with, how that deck is completely composed to understand why it, it has kind of disappeared, but I'm just so happy it has. Yeah. I mean, and the feeling that you're talking about is the removal of agency and everyone kind of has their own relationship with that. In the current meta, there are people where their timer is the reverse of yours, where they also feel like they have no control over the game, but their timer starts at the beginning and they have to outlast aggro. You said you're a rogue player. The amount of burst damage that rogue has from hand is so crazy right now that a lot of players feel like, well, I couldn't do anything. They just killed me before I got going. It's it, Hearthstone's kind of this array of play styles where people are like, they really like dominating the beginning of the game, the end of the game, or the middle. And whichever part that's not working for you right now, it feels the worst. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I wish I would have, I wish I would have been using my computer for this so I could just clip the replay and send it to you. But when you pull off 24 damage as a rogue player in one turn that is like that is like god tier right there you just it's the best feeling in the world of just like okay i'm going to play leroy jenkins i'm going to hit you with a waggle well first of all i'm going to play leroy jenkins i'm going to hit you in the face then i'm going to hit you in the face with my waggle pick which is going to bounce leroy jenkins back into my hand then i'm going to play it again then i'm going to prep cold blood prep cold blood 
Then I'm going to spend the last two mana to pull out two of the, why can I not think of the name right now? One mana, if you have a weapon equipped. Oh, Deadly charge. Poison. De- well, not Deadly Poison, but um, it's Pirate. Oh, Deckhand. Deckhands. They came out earlier in that before the waggle pick. And then you hit him in the face for another four. And then you hit him for 14 with Leroy Jenkins. And when you do that, you know you have just made that person turn the game off. And that is awesome. But that also doesn't require 30 minutes of my time. Yeah. (laughs) I will say there is value in being over too fast over being over too slow. But it really depends who you ask. Some players really like that feeling of grinding someone into dust. It's complicated. But to make sure I'm asking you the questions... Um, next question, I think this is our last question for the, for the after show, and it is unrelated to Hearthstone. Uh, productivity and tech. What is the piece of tech that you have coveted the most and then used the least after you bought it? Apple Watch, easily. <laughs> yep, wearables I, just didn't get there. Yeah, like, I, I don't know what it is, but Series 0 didn't want one. Series 1 didn't want one. Series 2 was like, okay, I can kind of see this. Series 3, I was like, I don't need a GPS. I don't need a cellular connection. I'll get the Series 1. And it sat there. And it still sits there. And I think at this point, it's not even connected to my phone anymore. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's. I had two Android Wear watches in a row, and then I got a regular wristwatch because the theory is you look at the notification on your wrist and you go about your day. The reality is you look at the notification on your wrist and you pull out your phone anyway. Mm-hmm. So... If the point was to make things less intrusive, but they're actually more intrusive because you now have to look at two different things when before you just feel the buzz and take your phone out your pocket, it's not better. And wearables, I am I'm kind of proud to say I was a Google Glass owner. I did own Google Glass, and it was extremely useful while driving. And then wearing it in public, it never felt quite right. And the watches were about the same experience, honestly. You got the notifications and everything was right there, but there's something about it. It's just like, this isn't something my life needs. I, I think the thing that, and this is this is definitely going down that productivity rabbit hole. Um, I think the thing that wearables do is similar to what really cheap games that nickel and dime you for every penny that you have do very well. It is that thing of whether I want to ignore it or not, I can't. Like, wh- yeah. like whether or not I, I want to, you know, spend 99 cents on the next gym. It, if, if the game has done what it is set to do, and these are not ethical games, of course, um, you feel like your day cannot go on if you don't buy that extra gym or buy that extra whatever. And... The Apple Watch just or any watch, any wearable, you know, just the fact that it's on your wrist and you're just like, ah, like, I know that that thing is there. It, it's it's like when someone touches your hand and you're just like, I want to know why you touched my hand. And if they go, oh, no reason. And you're just like, no, that it doesn't work like that. <laughs> there, there was a reason. Um, I think that's why wearables are so frustrating, so compelling to people. But I also think that that's why, like you said, eventually that mask gets lifted. Eventually you realize, okay, I'm looking at my watch and then 
I feel like I have to still respond to that thing. So now it's just getting in the way where I could just pull out my phone, look at the notification and respond on the same device. Yep. And it almost is like what you're describing reminds me of what it felt like to own a BlackBerry. I don't know if you did in the in the late 2000s when they were really popular. That blinking red light had a hard line connection to the feeling in your soul of I need to respond to this. Mm-hmm. I need to do something about this. And I, I guess it's good for all of us, the human race, that that RIM did not innovate and eventually the BlackBerry died off. And I, uh, notifications from iPhones and Android devices are much less intrusive, but that red light was so powerful. Yeah, I, I've never owned a BlackBerry, thank goodness, because <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like BlackBerry, people who owned Blackberries, they got it. Like, they were like, oh, man, like... I have I've had to set up Blackberries for people and I was just like this is this is post iPhone era. This is like iPhone 4 era and it's like I'm trying to configure this Blackberry to work and it's like I don't know why why just not get it. Oh, oh this this is nice. <laughs> and yep. and then you're, you're one like, of them. Oh man. <laughs> so I I'm definitely glad that I I did not own a Blackberry because I think I would be uh one of those people today that are just like Come on, I'm, I'm I'm believing in you. Let's like, what can I do? What can I do to to bring it back? <laughs> yeah, the the days of the hardware keyboard in your pocket are over because full screen web browsing is just too good to give up. But there was a moment there where they had everyone's attention and everyone's dedication into the movement of I want to have a bunch of keys so I can make emails go fast, and I want a red light to tell me when I have more emails so I can go fast. It's like the Sonic the Hedgehog of phones. Oh, that's a that's a good way to put it. I've never thought of it like that. I like it. Shall we pass the baton back and let the listeners get on their way? All right. I think we shall. So thank you um, for those people that are listening. Thank you for your support, as always, uh, for being a Pit Premium member or being a contributor to our Ko-Fi page. You are the reason why I am able to continue doing this show. And...